Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Attempting to pull off a TFT at Trump Free Tuesday. I want to talk more about the Catholic Church. It's, you know, it's a disgusting story. and You know, you're a mind reader. I was just looking at an email I got from a friend that uh, outlining some, some signs that the Catholic Church is not taking this seriously. At least large segments of it are not. It takes a long time to turn a giant bureaucracy. So, and often they can't be turned at all. Yeah, you have to Even if the down. top people, the layer below them and the lower layer below them, are, are utterly dedicated to the goal. It's just too massive to turn. And there are parts of me that wonders whether the Catholic Church is, uh, answers to that description. Well, the reaction of the last week since that report came out doesn't give me any uh, belief that they're dead set on cleaning house and straightening out. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, well, yeah, all right. We'll talk about that in a little bit, because if we get rolling down that road, it's tough to stop. So, uh, a really, really interesting thought 
provoking uh, piece here by a gent by the name of Raihan Salam, who identifies as Asian, um, but uh, he's writing in the Atlantic. And the title of the piece, uh, piece is The Utility of White Bashing. It's a rhetoric that serves a purpose, and which is why it's not likely to disappear. And interestingly, he, he he talks about a couple of different things. White people who self-consciously white bash, and also the situation in the Asian American community, which I found really, really interesting and thought-provoking, but it's complicated. Just because, you know, you've got the, the, the nature of a lot of Asian people as being super achieving, disproportionately represented in some universities. Now, universities are trying to find ways to keep Asian people out. Really, really interesting stuff. But again, uh, maybe that's for another day. Uh, but he starts. I'm, I've always been confused by this too, the whole beating up on your own race thing. Well, That's interesting. A, a long time. I don't remember the the guy, but I was a very young adult when I came across a guy. Gladys, feel free if you want. I mean, you've trained for years at the Sorbonne, and we're paying you, right? Um, I was a very pay attention. Oh my God, she's a World War One vet, Jack. Don't have to yell. Anyway, you actually do. She can't hear a thing. I was quite a young adult when uh, I came across a, a dude who was so unctuously, self-consciously a man basher around women, and it just reeked of desperation. <laughs> oh yeah, men are so stupid. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, and it's like, oh God, dude. You're making me want to vomit. <laughs> and and the self-consciously self-beating to curry favor with people has always, always bothered me. Because it's so obvious when it's done. But so uh, Mr. Salam is writing, uh, he, he opens with the discussion of Sarah Jiang, who is the tech journalist hired by the New York Times in spite of some of her uh, Twitter posts, which were wildly, crazily anti-white. She explained that they were satirical responses to racist abuse she had received. In retrospect, it was probably a bad idea, but she was trying to throw it back in other people's faces to show them how ridiculous it sounds. You know, a lot of you didn't buy that explanation or think, well, if a white person had done that, nobody would buy that explanation from them. That part is probably true. I'm not that bothered by it. Um, But moving along, he writes, what I want to do is to look beyond the particulars of Jung's remark to understand better why anti-white rhetoric is, in some communities, so commonplace as to be banal. The people I've heard archly denounce whites have, for the most part, been upwardly mobile people who have proven pretty adept at navigating elite, predominantly white spaces. A lot of them have been whites who pride themselves on their diverse social circles and their enlightened views, and who indulge in their own half-ironic white bashing to underscore what is their achieved identity as intelligent, worldly people that counts most, not their ascribed identity of being recognizably European descent. That's some very beautiful writing that I will translate into simpler verbiage because I've had the privilege of reading it a few times. People now are aware that they are being judged for their race a lot. And they don't resist that anymore. And so they're desperate to show that they have character. And the way they show character these days is by hating on white people. It's a it's a bizarre turning inside out of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, you know urgings to us in his I have a dream speech and other speeches. Don't never ever trust Whitey. That's another interpretation of what he was trying to say. 
But the idea that <laughs> they're desperate to show their character by bashing people's race is, like I say, a weird pretzel twist. Um, one reason I've been disinclined to take this sort of talk seriously in the past is that it's so often smacked of intra-white status jockeying. It's almost as though we're living through some sort of strange ethnogenesis in which those who see themselves as, for lack of a better term, upper whites are doing everything they can to disaffiliate themselves from those they've deemed lower whites. It's not about class status, though, of course, that's always in the background. Rather, it's about the supposed nobility that flows from racial self-flagellation. And that's it. In a time of of this incredibly unhealthy everybody grouping everybody by their ethnicity and coming up with this bizarre notion that there's no such thing as an objective truth or facts or rationalization that your reality comes from your race. People are absolutely desperate not to be white. I'm white, but I'm okay. It's, it's, it's almost as if you went to, you know, some Chinese communist re-education camp, which we'll be, uh, you know, uh, talking about later. And you wear a badge so people can see, oh, you're a southern Chinese, but you've been re-educated, so you're okay. It's really a sick notion. Um, He says there's also an edge to it that it's the most transgressive thing you can say these days without getting called out for it. So you get to be edgy, but it's safe, which is another. This guy's insightful. He gets people's urges. You know, people like making ethnic jokes about all sorts of ethnicities and always have. But now you got to be you just can't. It's just too dangerous. Um, But you can get away with this and people still enjoy it. So that's a good point, I think. Um, On that podcast about the Facebook, um, there's a a female comedian on there who is white. And so part of her act was she sings this song where she says, all old white men should die, all old white men should die, all old white men should die, except my dad, and gets the crowd to sing along. Right. And I thought, wow, that is really something. That's an interesting thing to happen in a culture. Yeah, it's it's incredibly offensive if you're going to take it serious. Well, and it's dangerous if it goes much further down the road. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's say I, you know, I'm a songwriter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna riff on that. All Vietnam vets must die. All Afghanistan war vets must die. All the scientists who help cure the diseases, they've all got to die because they're white. That's a great song. I like that song. Uh, and then finally, I really like this point, and this is so true. My God, you, you people who like me, like us, are driven crazy by the uh, lack of free speech on college campuses, the ideological lockstep, the communist professors, all that stuff. Reminds me, I haven't said this lately, Support FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. That's one of several groups that do great work, but support them. Uh, Mr. Salam points out, unless you were born into the upper middle class, your surest route is to pursue an elite education. He's talking about if you want to like rise to the top, really realize the American dream. To do that, it pays to be exquisitely sensitive to the beliefs and prejudices of the people who hold the power to grant you access to that social and cultural capital you badly want. The gatekeepers. By setting the standards for what counts as praiseworthy, elite universities have a powerful effect on youthful go-getters. Their admission decisions represent powerful nudges towards certain attitudes, beliefs, 
and behaviors. And I've known many first and second generation kids. I was one of them who intuit this early on. And I would point out to you, and listen, I happen to have dealt with quite a few college or high school seniors and juniors lately who are applying for colleges, including my own, that yes, they understand quite well and are tutored in what sort of attitudes you better display in your essays. Because you have to write a bunch of essays. And for God's sake, don't take that moment to go against the company line. I mean, you can, it's a ballsy strategy, but you are really, really gambling. If you take a free speech position or a libertarian position or anything like that in your college essays, that's a huge gamble. And then, and that's the point he's making, and I would add on to that, and then once you get to college, that, you better be careful, is reinforced in virtually every single class you take and 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 in some classes every single project you do mm-hmm. and that sort of clear doctrine among the gatekeepers to success tends to spread and 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 spread the need to desperately establish yourself as not one of the bad uh, white, bad white people one of the good white people please don't hate me please don't hate me which is reminiscent, and, you know, I have no right to say this, but let me throw that out there to see what you think. It's a little reminiscent of people who are terrified of their blackness in prejudiced America. Some, you know, there's plenty of prejudice left, but that you're just desperate not to be seen as your race. And that's sad and it's sick no matter what color you are, period. It's pretty interesting. I wonder how often this has happened throughout history. I don't know of examples. You know, it was semi-intentionally uh, that I picked our freedom-loving quote of the day. It was actually submitted by one of our fabulous listeners um, that the opposite of courage in today's society isn't cowardice, it's conformity. Um, and that's true. It's true. I-, I suggest to y'all, and you can take it or leave it, you continue to live by you know, the greatest civil rights leaders who said, you know, judge people by the content of their character, not where their granddaddy came from or grandmama or the color of the skin or the rest of it, because that's just crap. And there's, like, no scientific basis for it either. Um, anyway. So uh, what percentage of Americans say they always or sometimes feel like no one knows them very well? Just thought that was kind of interesting. Hit wow. you with that when we come back. Maybe wow. you're like that. Isolated America. Huh? Bowling alone. Hmm. Um, we'll get to that Facebook stuff a little bit later. How would you end up paying a $285 copay for a $40 drug? That sort of thing happens a lot. Oh, yeah, we need to get to that. Uh, stay tuned for all this on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Armstrong and Getty Show. What are you doing? Thank you. when I was 18, $35 in my pocket, 
My dream was to make it as a professional dancer. After years of struggling and being broke, I'm sorry, I decided this is to a, go to auditions for musical theater. It's a tribute to Aretha? I heard the pay was better. I had no training or dreams of ever becoming a singer, but I went for it. Sooner or later, surely there's and rejected reference every audition. to Aretha Franklin. Not tall enough, not blend in enough, <sighs> not 12 octave range enough. Wow. Oh, and, and on it went. Well, in what sense was that? Was she introduced as, here's Madonna with a tribute to Aretha Franklin? Or yeah, what? that's how she started uh-huh. the speech. Wow. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> She's dressed like some sort of like wood nymph. <laughs> She's got all sorts of headwear and well, almost pointy-like ears. It uh, and Jack, the internet is angry at that. Of course, the internet woke up angry. Well, the internet the... will have lunch angry and go to bed angry tonight. It's the flipping Video Music Awards. Yeah, so no whatever kidding. happens there... Who plays videos? Uh, is uh, is is going to be all right. But, um, yeah. Uh, but, but so at what point does she turn it toward Aretha? Uh, and how does she wrap like it up? Six to seven minutes after that? She gets back to it, and then she says, and so I'd like to thank Aretha for inspiring everyone in this room. And then she correctly spells respect, which uh, Al Sharpton was unable to do. So she told her story of uh, grit and determination. Yeah, I think so. Her own story, Madonna's own story, as a tribute to Aretha. The payoff to that was (laughs) she auditioned with an Aretha Franklin song at her first audition and got turned down and then i realized that i needed to do what i needed to do and not be like other right like you okay. know, wow. boy. oh boy wow wow that's a spider web uh quality connection there baby <laughs> that, is, uh, that is interesting yeah um wow. uh graph in usa r-e-s-p-i-c-t where is that tape come on yeah you know what uh i feel a little bad about uh beating up on al sharpton for that it's easy to make mistakes like that when you're broadcasting. Yes. Because you got a lot on your mind. Sure. I mean, you, you're, uh, you know. To the extent that you have a mind, <laughs> if you're him. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, I mean, I've made a gazillion mistakes on the air in my life. Um, either because you're trying to think of what am I doing next, or you've got somebody standing in front of you counting you down. You've got 10 seconds, 5 seconds, 4 seconds. Oh, really? What are we doing next? Now i got to go to weather, and then we got to try. I mean, so I don't know. Show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. It can happen. <laughs> go ahead and defend him. <laughs> Seems to happen to him a lot. It does. It does. Resist we much, and we must much to that be committed <laughs> or whether we have more to go to build a movement of resistance but resist we much okay we All must right. yeah that's fine. and we will much about that yes be committed well there's no doubt about that <laughs> oh, that has never not been funny uh 54% he just keeps trying to save it <laughs> You need to Instead just say, with, excuse me, I misspoke. Right. We must be committed. <laughs> Not tried to save it. You know who's really good at that? Brian Williams. Man, he is smooth mm. on, on a, like correcting a mistake or whatever. He is really good at that. You just um, make it up as you go. It's kind exactly. of exactly <laughs> rounds coming into the airframe. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It does help. Fifty-four percent of Americans say they always or sometimes feel like no one knows them well. I think that's interesting. Over half of us. Always or sometimes feel like no one knows them well. Not even your wife, husband, mom, dad, best friend. You got nobody out there? 
Yeah, well, it speaks to the society, I think. We're be an isolated people. S- ought to be somebody out there in everyone's life, actually several, but at least one, that knows you pretty well. Yeah, well, I know, I've know i known a lot of close relationships, marital relationships, that everybody was a little concerned about fully committing who they are and admitting who they are and was a little careful about it still, a little uneasy still. Even years in? One of those bickering, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. You don't know me, and I don't know you. Wow, Nikki, you're ahead of your time. (laughs) Um, uh, but you know, yeah. Well, I don't know. Are you arguing with the statistic, or no? I just find it surprising. I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah. me too. And I think it's uh, and and sad. Yeah, I don't think that's probably a good way to be. Oh no, no, it's it's terrible. That's uh, that makes me think about my own life in, in sobering terms. I would have felt that way as a teenager, but I think maybe every teenager feels that way. That might be part of the teenager thing. <laughs> well, is it, it is. You feel like nobody understands you. Yeah. Well, it's true. I'm the because first because you're different than you were two months ago, so it makes it challenging. Sure. I mean, there's part of it. Yeah, I remember in high school thinking like that. There's nobody who ever went through the stuff that I. Oh, it turns out that. Everybody went through the same stuff that I went through. That just is, the, the I playing field changed slightly. It'd sure be nice if we could change that. There's that new movie out about eighth grade. Yes. That sounds freaking fantastic, but I don't know if I could handle watching it. Is it a drama, documentary, docudrama, it, dramedy? No, it's 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 a make em up. It's it's not a documentary, but it is fantastic. It, it's it has some of the softest gloves I've ever seen handling children growing up in social media. Mm. And really kind of paints it in a sympathetic light of how this has happened to them as yeah. opposed to something that they are perpetuating. In addition right. from the reviews I've read of just what it's like to be that age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's too bad that it has to be that way. And subtle things like the main person has it real like acne as opposed to just being beautiful. Like just these weird little it's a very accurate eighth grade portrayal. Mm, nice. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? More fallout from the report on Predator Priests. Round two in the battle over 3D printable guns. And after 100 years, the beasts on boxes of animal crackers finally roam free. What? It's a TFT. Yeah, it's a Trump-free Tuesday. I want to hear this animal crackers one, though, because we eat those at home. The little circus animals. Well, don't till you hear this. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. to that Facebook thing, them going through their uh, gymnastics, trying to figure out their various, what is porn, what is hate, what is this, and it's pretty interesting. It's from their own um, discussions, so stay tuned for that coming up. The true horrifying brutality of Antifa in the news again. Okay. Even liberal outlets are starting to catch on. Good, good. Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Uh, we have uh, got a sad end to a story that's gotten a lot of national attention. Multiple reports are saying today the body of a missing college student, Molly Tibbetts, was found. Police will only tell Fox News her body was found in Iowa, but no other details are being released. The police are saying they're going to hold a pol- uh, press conference later on today. This is one of those, why did this one get attention? She's white, she's attractive, it's a small town in the Midwest. Yep. It's got a number of factors even then, this happens now and then, and some of them get national attention and some of them don't. Yeah, yeah. They it's... interviewed that pig farmer last week. Did he uh, turn out he's okay or whatever? They're no, really no, grilling no. him. Yeah, they went to his place a couple of times. Other news, Cardinal World target of rising anger after the Pennsylvania grand jury report. In the week since the grand jury reported on sex abuse, child sex abuse by Catholic priests, 
Cardinal Donald World's reputation's taken a brutal hit. His upcoming book it should. He has a, a book coming out that's been canceled by his publisher. He abruptly pulled out of his role as a keynote speaker at a major global meeting in Ireland, and officials are considering taking his name off a high school in his hometown of Pittsburgh, where Worrell served as bishop for 18 years before becoming the Archbishop of Washington, D.C. in 2006. Where he was uh, well aware while in Pittsburgh of all the child raping and touching and underage boy sexing up and the rest of it. And, uh, And the current guy... In Pennsylvania, whose name I don't recall, but he was on Fox News last night with Brett Barron's special report, defending the church and saying repeatedly, there was no cover-up. Listen, there no cover-up. It said uh, the amended uh, grand jury report makes it clear there's no cover-up. But a guest later on, who was red-faced with anger, right. pointing out that everybody knew what was going on. The rumors were rampant, and this guy, the current guy, was the former guy's uh, chief of personnel or something. He was completely acquainted with what was going on. All right, so it wasn't a cover-up. It was a not saying anything and a continuing to move priests around. Whatever, dude. And this guy, like everybody else I've seen for the past 20 years, showing little to no emotion as he discussed this. Why doesn't anybody in the Catholic Church um, hierarchy get red-faced and angry about this? They just don't. Right. Well, I they're know, defending. Get, yeah, it's, it's, they're it's really defense. Disgusting. Well, and I'll tell you what. I, I know Brett Baer on Fox, who's maybe the best interviewer on television, but he called the guy your excellency. I, I could never do that. Yeah. I could never get those words to come out of my mouth. Right. Uh, even without yeah. the priest stuff, it just seems weird to me. It's uh, Right. But, but knowing what it is, knowing you're somehow involved <laughs> in the moving priests around so they can rape kids, you had to know about it. I'm not calling you your excellency. I'd like to call you the defendant in the courtroom is what I'd like to call you. So to the point of enormous bureaucracies are very hard to turn, even if those at the top would like to. And I'm not convinced that top to bottom the church is serious about reforming. And I don't know if it can. Uh, my friend uh, Mike the Lawyer from Chicagoland, where I grew up, sent this story along uh, right out of the western suburbs where I uh, grew up and went to school and everything. Um, Two priests accused of sex crimes against children and people with disabilities are living next door to a junior high in the western suburbs. It sparked outcries from families, as well as a push to get those priests out of the town of Naperville, Illinois. Uh, They have extra patrols, etc., etc. If you're serious about this stuff, how do you have these guys housed next to, you know, 11 to 14-year-olds going to school every day? They're child molesters! They're not serious about it. No. There's no indication that the Catholic Church is serious about this. So this that, that whole statute of limitations thing right. is interesting. People want to change that. Um, it, it varies from place to place. But where this particular scandal is, you can't come forward with a charge after you're 30 of a civil case. Or after you're 50 or 52, some number like that, in, uh, in a criminal case. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and... Um, how they chose those numbers, and in a lot of places, those numbers are right. higher. 
So I, I don't know. I don't know what would be correct on that. Let me get back to these two priests in Chicagoland, one of whom is named in a $4 million settlement because he's one of five priests who allegedly preyed upon young boys in two counties from the 1960s through the 1980s. That's 30 years, folks. When asked by the two why the two priests are living next to a school, the diocese said in a statement, now, you remember, this is the Catholic Church right. that is vowing to get serious and change this culture. Here's what they said only when did this story come out. Moments ago, neither of the two priests have been convicted of any crimes, nor is either one a registered sex offender. Perfect. Perfect. Always a lawyerly, protect us sort of statement. Nobody ever seems really that upset about it. God dang it, that is just absolutely unbelievable. The Catholic Church is either so incredibly tone deaf on this issue or it is so arrogant it doesn't care what the rest of society thinks. I think uh, it's says uh, Mike. I think the tone deaf you'd think that would have gone by the wayside after years of uh, taking in media. The arrogance part is 100% guaranteed. We have done whatever we've wanted for many centuries. We're going to outlast you people. I think that's the thinking. All right, switching gears. Nabisco's parent company has changed the design of its iconic Barnum's Animals Crackers box after getting pressure from the animal rights group's PETA. Oh, boy. The rectangular box now shows a zebra, an elephant, a lion, a giraffe, and a gorilla on a grassland instead of the more than 100-year-old design that showed them in cages, implying they were traveling in boxcars for the circus. Peter wrote to the company in 2016 asking for a redesign, charging that circuses are cruel to animals and that the package should be updated to, quote, show animals who are free to roam in their natural habitats. I I, uh, hesitate to agree with anything PETA ever does, although I do admire their incredible ability to get publicity, but... I'm kind of with them on this. Old-style circuses and zoos were ridiculous. They're it's, terrible. Uh, it's it's fine, but I can't imagine that it was having much effect either way. On the on other kids. hand, the animal cracker is an incredibly delicious snack. Unique flavor. Oh, Nothing else yes. tastes like the animal cracker, um, yet delicious. Melts in your mouth. And every kid bites the heads off. <laughs> yeah. Every well, kid. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, to prevent attack. <laughs> right. <laughs> Act of uh, self-defense. You nibble away at the various parts, including the head, like sure. some sort of cruel. Sometimes the legs. Just absolutely sadist. Right. <laughs> Every child does it, though. Right. The legs, the tail, the head, leaving just a torso. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Don't be afraid, Squawky. <laughs> I'm looking at you. This Facebook Chew stuff. your head right off. This Facebook stuff is pretty entertaining as they tried to figure out what their policies were going to be as Facebook exploded in popularity. Fabulous. We'll play some of that for you coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Show. That's a heavy riff, man. I just want to hear one verse. Damn, Judge. Son of a. Was it that Manafort, Judge? I hear he's a bastard. 
So this is from a podcast from some people called Radio Lab that Sean had me listen to. And uh, it's about Facebook, and, and I don't remember how they said they got a hold of this. Is it is it public knowledge? The Facebook, well, the, the guidelines are public knowledge. How they came to the guidelines for what they will allow on Facebook, did they secretly get that somehow? They have spoken to people off the record, current and former employees okay. who... So it was journalism yeah, yeah. Uh, to get this stuff. This is how Facebook came to their... I think it's currently 50 pages of guidelines for what would will get flagged and pulled off of Facebook. Wolf. And it's constantly changing and very complicated. And they got hold of the actual discussions that were being had in the rooms when there was like five of them saying, what should we allow? Should we allow that? I don't know. I think we should. Do you think we should? I don't think we should. Hmm. And, you know, and then why? And then the yeah. argument. And they have the actual conversations and they and then they had people read read them so you could like listen in on the conversations as they were having them wow. so some of this is dramatic reported. recreation some of it is dramatic recreation some of it is just commentary on it but it was all around early on in facebook they got uh they were taking down women breastfeeding yes can't have that and the, like the first protest the danger of the boob the first protest Teat. before anybody even really knew what facebook was when myspace was still reigned you know as the king um some 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 women were were protesting outside facebook headquarters you know saying don't take down our breastfeeding photos and it got some news coverage mm. and it grew from there that's when they realized okay i guess we need to have some sort of standard and, and this is kind of way it unfolded by then nudity was already not allowed on the site but they had no definition for nudity. They just said no nudity. And so the site integrity team, the, those 12 people at the time, they, they realized they had to start spelling out exactly what they meant. Precisely. All of these people at Facebook were in charge of trying to define nudity. So, I mean, yeah, the first cut at it was visible male and female genitalia and then visible female breasts. And then the question is, well, OK, how much of a breast needs to be showing before it's nude? <laughs> And the thing that we landed on was if you could see essentially the nipple and areola, then that's nudity. And it would have to be taken down, which theoretically at least would appease these protesters. Because, you know, now when a picture would pop up of a mother breastfeeding, as long as the child was blocking the view of the nipple and the areola, they, they could say, cool, no problem. Then you start getting pictures that are women with just their babies on their chest with their breasts bare. Like, for example, maybe baby was sleeping on the chest of a bare-breasted woman and not actively breastfeeding. Okay, now what? Like, is this actually breastfeeding? No, it's actually not breastfeeding. The woman is just holding the baby and she has her top off. No, but she was clearly just breastfeeding the baby. Well, like, well, I would just before. say... Well, right. I would say it's sort of like kicking a soccer ball. Like, a photo of someone who has just kicked a soccer ball, you can tell the ball is in the air, but there is no contact between the foot and the ball <laughs> in that moment, potentially. So, although it is a photo of someone kicking a soccer ball, they are not, in fact, kicking the soccer ball in that photo. <laughs> That's a good example. And this, this became the procedure or the, the protocol or the approach for all these things, was we have to base it purely on what we can see in the image. And so... They didn't allow that to stay up under the rules because it could be too easily exploited for other types of content like nudity or pornography. We got to the only way you could objectively say that the baby and the mother were engaged in breastfeeding is if the baby's lips were touching the woman's nipple. <laughs> so they included what you could call like an attachment clause. But as soon as they got that rule in place. Like you would see, you know, 
a 25 year old woman and a teenage looking boy, right? And like, what the hell is going on there? Oh, yeah. It gets really weird if you like start entering into like child age. I wasn't even going to bring that up because it's kind of gross. <laughs> it's like breastfeeding porn. Is that a thing? Are there sites like do have Apparently. That? And so this team, they realized so they needed to, to have a nudity. If so this you can gets think to, of it, there's porn right. of it. And this remember. gets to Sean's thing is there's a lot of people in the world of the internet that as soon as a rule is made, they want to get around it somehow. Uh-huh. That's uh, the only goal is to say your rule is imperfect. And it's yeah, so it's not for any real point. Like they weren't necessarily trying to monetize adult breastfeeding porn or something. They just wanted to mess with the rules. Yes. That's the internet world. Yeah. I get it. A little more of this. They realized they needed to have a nudity rule that uh, allowed for breastfeeding, but also had some kind of an age cap. So, so, uh, so then we were saying, okay, once you've progressed past infancy, then we believe that it's inappropriate. But then pictures would start popping up on their screen and they'd be like, wait, is that an infant? Like, where's the line between infant and toddler? And so the thing that we landed on was if it looked like the child could walk on his or her own, then <laughs> too old. Big enough to walk? Too big to breastfeed. Oh, that could be 18 months. Yeah, that's like a year old in some cases. Yeah, and like the World Health Organization recommends breastfeeding until, you know, like 18 months or two years, which meant there were a lot of photos still being taken down. Okay, so you you get, and it goes on for there for a long time. Wow. Um, I I do want to get this on just because this is kind of a funny little, you know, side uh, problem that they ran into at Facebook. Literally every time this team at Facebook would, would come up with a rule that they thought was airtight, kaplop, something would, <laughs> something would show up that they, that they weren't prepared for, that, right. that the rule hadn't accounted for. Uh, as soon as you think, yeah, this is good, like the next day something shows up to show you, yeah, you didn't think about this. For example, sometime around 2011, this content moderator is, is, is going through a queue of things. Accept, reject, accept, escalate. Except. And she comes upon this image. Oh my God. The photo itself was a teenage girl, African by dress and skin, breastfeeding a goat, a baby goat. Oh boy. (laughs) And the moderator throws her hands up and says, What the f is this? And we Googled breastfeeding goats and found that this was a thing. It turns out it's a survival practice. According to what they found, this is a tradition in Kenya that goes back centuries (laughs) that in a drought, a known way to help your herd get through the drought is to, uh, if, you, if you have a woman who's lactating, to have her nurse the kid, Send the baby the goat, goat uh, along yeah. with her human kid. Hmm. And so there's nothing sexual about it. It's just good farming. Good business. Good. But obviously, <laughs> breastfeeding, as we intended anyway, meant human infants. And so in that moment, what they decide to do is uh, remove the photo. And there was an amendment, an asterisk, under the rule stating animals are not babies. We added that so in any future cases, people would know what to do. Baby if they were to allow this picture, then they'd have to make some rule about when it was okay to breastfeed an animal and when it wasn't okay. This is a utilitarian document. It's not about being right 100% of the time. It's about being able to execute effectively. So this is, again, that's Radio oh, Lab's boy. podcast, and there's like an hour of that, and it's yeah. pretty damned interesting. Yeah, they as do you, good work. As you saw, a lot of that was them recreating the uh, the conversation, because they, the, they have the info on that, right. what the conversations were. You know what the problem is here? It's Facebook itself. I looked this up. Um, Facebook, which is kind of plateaued, well, not kind of, it has plateaued in terms of the number of American users. Uh, about two-thirds, 68% of Americans use the service. Now, I use it a little bit for work, so I suppose I'm part of that number. 
So it's probably about 60% of people who seriously use it a significant amount of the time. If you just have your own damn breastfeeding website, and you can have a little, little warning up there. If you don't like pictures of hooters, don't click on this because it's all about hooters. hooters and babies and in some odd cases, goats. <laughs> well, then we don't have this conversation. I don't understand why Facebook doesn't just say, well, we took that down. Why? Because we want to. But that's not fair. Sorry. Why don't they do that? Because there would be marches and placards and screeching and chanting. God, no more chanting. (laughs) Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. 415-295-KFTC. They actually got to, so was the goat old enough to walk? Is it a baby goat? (laughs) You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.